This is Kate Up with Max K. Three, two, one, and we're rolling. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another week of Keyed Up, brought to you by Max Key and proudly hosted by Stonewood Key. Now, today I have a very special guest, a person I've actually known through the industry for many years now, and the person that actually got me into doing this very podcast. So, well, get out. Yeah, Dom Harvey, welcome. Great to be here. And can I just say, um, did you just say um, Keyed Up with Max Key, brought to you by Max Key? Yep. It's a oh, so you're sponsoring your own podcast. Sponsoring my own podcast. <laughs> <laughs> no one else would. So. <laughs> oh, that's cool. And it's great to see you in this space. Yeah, in no, this podcast I'm, space. Honestly, I, I so I did Dom's podcast. We filmed in November, early November, and um, I loved it. Eh? I, I think you know, there's something so special about getting someone in a room. There's no phones. It's just a one-on-one chat. I think it's awesome. And yeah, and I think there's something just about that long form conversation where I actually had a, had a so we're recording this in um, uh, late February, late February uh, 2023, and your podcast just came out earlier this week. I, I had a message this morning from a lady that said, you know, she listened to the Max Key chat, thought it was really good, and it just reinforces something she's learned that um, you can't you can't believe necessarily what you what you hear about people or the perception you have about people and I think that's quite powerful and that's something that the podcast medium allows like yeah. just that long form conversation because I feel like you've um, been so unfairly judged over the years and people have an opinion of you which is um, you know not necessarily true and it's nice to um, I suppose give you that space to uh, let a bit more of you out and then people can people can listen to it and go well I thought he was a dick and I still think he's a dick yeah, still think he's or, dick. <laughs> or I thought he was a, d- a dick and now I think he's a nice guy or whatever yeah no and I agree with that and I think mm. prior to the kind of podcast space I feel like you know everything that I shared was through Instagram and so it's your interpretation of a photo or a status or you know something that you know, you're not getting much context behind it and, it, you know, it's just an image. You know, and as they say, yeah. an image paints a thousand words. So that's, I think, what's awesome about the podcast is I felt like it's been a cool way. I mean, obviously, I've been interviewing guests mainly, so it's not completely about me, but it has been a cool way, you know, to show a bit of my personality and mm. kind of I feel like people get to know me a bit more. Which, yeah. Oh, good for you. But you, you did a bit of um, vlogging back in the day, right? Yeah. Like you had a YouTube channel and stuff, and I, I thought you got quite good at that. Yeah, well, I see, I love all this stuff. I Like, I think it's it's been so interesting. And, you know, I was I print off, like, a couple questions. Like, I've got, like, four or five written down. But I've actually found that... Yeah, no, I'm not going to answer that. <laughs> I want to answer that. The fourth one's pretty yeah. good. Oh, yeah, ask me about running. Yeah, Running, <laughs> yeah, running. <laughs> no, 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 whatever you want. But I found, like... You know, I've like the podcast I did yesterday, I came in like without a sheet of paper and I to be honest knew nothing about the person. Like I knew their name mm. and roughly a couple of things they did. And you sit there talking to them for like an hour and a half and it's, it's actually so cool I find just getting to know someone and you know, I feel like a lot of these people have like put their walls down a bit. You know, in the same way you got me to do to you. Like I'd I'd never vocalized about my O C D, I'd never mm. talked about anything like that ever publicly. Yeah, I think it's just giving someone um, the, the, the a comfortable enough space. Yeah. To, um, space in terms of, um, yeah, like the environment that you're sitting in, but also space in terms of, um, you know, the, the, the platform to do that. Like a, if you, when I was on the radio, if you came into chat, we'd have like a four-minute four, four minute window maybe. Yeah, it was quick, eh? So it's like if you had a long answer, one of us would cut you off and yeah. get to the next thing. Yeah. Some sort of funny gag. Yeah, and how, how do you find... You know, because that's something that I always thought that would make me good at podcasts is that I'm not good at interviewing people. Well, not that I'm not good, but I have no background in it. So do you find, because you guys are so polished, you know, you knew how to keep to the four minutes, you knew how to just bang questions out of people. 
do you find it's like tough in the podcast medium where you know not crossing that line of like I've found when people have interviewed me when it's too formal there's too much structure it's a bit like oh and I kind of close up yeah. and I don't want to get really like personal yeah have you found that tough or I don't I don't know I don't, I don't know how to answer that really I like it's um there, there's definitely like transferable skills like they're, they're both different forms of broadcasting I guess you know podcast yeah. versus radio um but they're very different skills in the respect that um you know, radio is like short and punchy and to the point, and you need to get you know in and out of that break. This is music radio I'm talking about in particular, in sort of four to five minutes. Um, so I do think it's easier, go, even though it's a new skill and it's a skill that I, I'm still learning um, to do long form, form conversation. I think it's easier because if, mm. if um, you know if I'm chatting to you, saying you, you mentioned something in passing, like about OCD, um, in radio there's not necessarily the space to elaborate on it, but yeah. with podcast it's like you just dive into we can it. go as deep as we as we need to go. Yeah. So it's um it's good, and I'm loving learning this new this new skill. What what do you kind of like? Did you find? I don't know. I've always found like you know with radio it's like and we're back with you know and they're kind of like <laughs> it is. It's high energy and it's fast paced. Yeah. Do you do you ever feel <laughs> like that? Cheesy. Yeah. Like did you ever feel like it wasn't you? You know, like you do these little gags like and the worst joke of the week. You know, like yeah, stuff yeah, like that. Yeah. Of course. Of course. But there's there's elements of that that you just have to that you have to do. Have to and do. and even with um you know if you want to compare podcasts with radio even like interviews we did it's like. It's just not necessarily stuff we'd do. Like every Christmas, your dad would come in when he yeah, was prime yeah. minister, and every year we'd think, "All right, what can we what can we do with the prime minister that's going to potentially be picked up by external media, like yep. be it six o'clock news or you always need the headliner stuff or whatever." Yeah, because it's like if you if, you, if we could get your dad to do something kind of goofy, it would make the news. And um, that, in radio, that's like a good it's a good thing if you can do that. So, but I, I don't have to do that now. Like if I had your dad on the podcast, like we, <laughs> I wouldn't have to get him to. <laughs> you know, like sing Christmas songs yeah, or yeah. <laughs> pull girls' ponytails or yeah. <laughs> whatever it happens to be. Yeah, yeah. No, it's so interesting. Well, um, say with the with the radio, how? Because say even like with the podcast, it's hard to do a lot of them at once. You know, like they're, they're very mentally kind of taxing. Yes. How do you? You know, with radio, you guys have so many segments, and every day it's like this high energy. Mm. How? Who's coming up with all that? Like, is that? You know, is there a big team behind you that's deciding all the gags and all that stuff? Or is that literally like, say when it was JJ, Mike and Dom, are you three sitting down and you're coming up with it all? Yeah, it was, it was, it's, it's, it's funny. Like if you go to Australia, it's, I suppose it's economies of scale. Like in Australia, if you're a breakfast host in Australia like Sydney, you, you can earn millions of dollars each year. Mm. Hamish and Andy, an afternoon show in Australia, massive yeah, podcasters. Huge, yeah, yeah multi-millionaires. So it's different economies of scale. So in, in Australia, it's a bit different in the respect that you have huge producer teams and a producer's a respected um, position and they get paid very well. Here in New Zealand, producers generally an entry-level role, someone that's just finished their broadcasting degree. So they come in and they kind of... Um, the producer uh, in the background is currently <laughs> laughing. <laughs> oh, is, is that unfair? Fair? Unfair? Rightfully so. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I'm sorry, bro. Um, it was so funny seeing your face in this. <laughs> <laughs> no, but... Um, no, where was I? Where was I going with this? <laughs> no, that's poor it's, guy. It's his first week, I, and you've just I, I, you've I, just ripped them. I don't know. No, I, I, I like I suppose the producers their job to come up with stuff, but they don't necessarily have the skill set or experience like at the level that um yeah we were working at doing a high pressure top forty nationwide show. So for me and JJ and and Mike uh, when we were together as a team, 
Um, it was our names on the, you know, on the on the billboards and on the back of the bus. So you want to do the best show possible. So it's like, am I going to leave? You know, my future and my reputation in the hand of a like a twenty year old that's just graduated, or yeah. am I going to? But then, then you end up in a position position where you're sort of, you know, helping the producers. So the producers will pitch some ideas, and you'll say, um, "Yeah, that's a great idea. We can do it." Or this is not a good idea, and here's why this isn't isn't a good idea. Yeah. And they learn, and then when they learn enough after six months or a year, they go to management and say, oh, "I'm sick of earning thirty thousand a year. Can I earn thirty five? And management go, "No, you can't." And they yeah. go somewhere else, and then you start the cycle over start again. again. It's yeah. rinse and repeat. So how do they? Because um, obviously on the shows, you know, you all have like very. It's kind of weird. You have like very different personalities, but also you're all kind of like the same human mm. at the same time. How do they? You know, because say there's three of you. Like even when you have a conversation with three people, it's pretty hard. You know, there's always someone that's a bit more dominant. There's always like, how did you manage? Say like when you were JJ, Mike, and Dom. How do you kind of like manage everyone's personality and? It is. So, it's so interesting that you bring that up, and so observant of you to bring that up because it's like. Um, yeah, we we had consultants and stuff, consultants and coaches, and it's important that you have three have different personality types. Like mm. if you've got three people with the same opinion, it's like, well, it may as well be a one person show. So you sit down and you have like um like role defining meetings. Oh. So you actually do, yeah, hundred percent, yeah, because it's like. I think it's sort of eased down a little bit because they, 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 they say to you, we want you to be yourself, but it's like, yeah. well, we all agree on, on the subject. So it's, there's not a lot of friction in that and there's not a lot of polarisation or anything. So um, yeah, when I first started The Edge, this is when Friends was, the TV show Friends was still on TV. That was like um, the thing that the coaches and consultants used as an example. They're like, what you have in Friends is six clearly defined roles. Mm. Like, you know, so the, and it, it came down to that. So it's like, um, you know, they'd be like, Mike, you, you can be, you, you know, you're Ross, Dom, you can be Joey, yeah. and Joey, you, you, you can just be all the girls. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's, it's, kind of, it's kind of important then. That's one of those ones that's, there's just certain things that you would say or wouldn't say, and you can step out of that character role a little bit, like 20%, I suppose it's an 80 20 sort of rule. Yeah. But you want to be in. So, uh, I mean, but then again, you don't stray, you can't stray too far from who you are as a human being or yeah, who you actually are. Does it, is it one of those things in radio, like, you know, um, I'm trying to think of an example, but like, you know, you know, like in movies, like say The Rock, you always know that he's either going to play the lovable <laughs> goofball that doesn't act like the big strong guy, or he plays yeah. the like, the badass yeah, the, the, the guy that's going to kick some ass. Yeah. And yeah. you just know, or it's like, <laughs> oh, who's the guy in, um, in like Taken? That's oh, Liam Neeson. Liam yeah, Neeson. Yeah. You just know every <laughs> it's film. It's the same role. Every time. Does it get like that in radio where, you know, is it hard to kind of reinvent yourself once you've got your stigma, I guess? I suppose so in a way. I feel like I'm in the process of sort of reinventing myself now or just, you know, I, and I was um, like crippled with fear when I launched my podcast about a year ago because I thought the the first people they're going to listen to are the people that um, like me from the radio and miss me on the radio. And I suppose I was fearful because it's like they'll probably hate it. Mm. They'll be like, why isn't Dom, you know, why isn't Dom being a jackass? Or, yeah, yeah. You know, why isn't he asking some inappropriate questions? And it's just a different sort of vibe. Yeah, because like even me, like coming on your one, I, there was that little bit of me that, you know, was a bit worried being like, oh, kind of like <laughs> makes me do something stupid. Because I've gone through the same thing, you know, yeah, trying yeah. to like reinvent. Yeah. But well, I think I think you can. You just have to prove yourself. And what I'm hoping happens over uh, it's been going like a whole year now, is the more the more um, guests you have on, and the more that word spreads, and the more that people realise it's a you know just a nice conversation, and yeah. no one's being stitched <coughs> up, then the more likely people are to agree to come on. And what's your process? See, 
my process going into these podcasts, like the first, I did Paul Henry as my first one. Did you? Yeah. You've had Paul on? Yeah. Yeah, it was pretty wicked. Shit. I, I, I don't know how to get hold of him. I sent a message to his Instagram account, but I feel like he's not even yeah, <laughs> running I don't, that. I don't think he does. I, I got quite lucky because my parents are really good family friends with him. Um, and so, yeah, I kind of like wiggled my way in. But he, That's um, a good get. Yeah, no, it was amazing. And, um, but I found, say, with him, I, we were going to do it in December. This was meant to start in December, and then I got COVID, and then I was away for a while. And so then we were just like, let's just wait till I'm back and kind of start it, you know, a couple of weeks ago. Anyway, long story. So I, I ended up researching him for like three months. Like I already knew a lot about him just, you know, through the years of media and kind of as like a friend. But I found I, I learned too much about him. And so I was in this my first one, and I was trying to not guide the conversation, but I was very much like, I was like, oh, this is a cool story. So I was like trying to angle my way yeah, to like. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then I've gone to the complete opposite end of the spectrum where I've had people in, and I don't know anything about them. Like I had one guy in yesterday, I won't say who, and I, I had no idea anything about him, like literally no idea. And I spent an hour and 15 minutes just learning about him, and it was really cool. And so what's your say process with it because I noticed like when I came on you knew like everything about me and so obviously you know you've had many many years doing this so you'd be the expert but what's your kind of process of of doing that mm. like where's your balance of- well yeah the, the things that you said about Henry I, I think I try and um uh try and go 50 50 like I'll do a lot of I'll do a lot of I'll do a google search and I'll read it read some articles and uh if the, if the person's been on a podcast before I'll listen to that podcast because I find um People tend to share different things in podcasts than what they do in other forms of the media. So I have some notes and some research, so some possible things to bring up or some possible angles to go in. Um, but then, I, yeah, I agree with you. It's still good to have that curiosity. Yeah. Um, so I try and sort of have a dollar each way, I guess, on that. So I want to do. I'll, I'll do some research, um, yeah. definitely. But I also want to have that. I don't want to know everything. I want to have that curiosity as well. Yeah. Because yeah, I, I I fully agree with what you're saying. That is a trap you can fall into. Yeah. And where you think, fuck, that's a great story. I've got to get him to tell that. So you ask a leading question. But then he ended up saying all these things that I hadn't even researched, and they ended up being a hundred times better mm. than you know the stuff yeah. I didn't. And even like I had a comedian on, and we, you know, again I was like, oh, this is gonna be a real funny episode, and. You know, I was thinking of all these jokes and we ended up getting like really deep on mental health. Yeah. And it was like, I think that's what I've loved personally about my journey. It's obviously been a lot shorter than yours, but you just have these conversations that you're like, wow, like I don't even know where that came from. I think that's what's so cool about the long form. Yeah, you yeah. kind of feel like you've actually got to know the person. Yeah, yeah, that's one thing I've been enjoying, and um, with with all my guests, the mental health thing's been like an element as well, because it's like um, I think it's such an important thing. Even anyone that has hasn't had mental health issues, it's like if you ask them what they do to make sure they keep their you know, mental health in good shape, I think it's just a it's a great conversation to have. Yeah, and the more you re- you know, the more people open up. Like that's another thing about the uh, podcast we had. You. Sh- um, I thought this was um, you're quite vulnerable on your part. You, you shared a story about being in the, the Bahamas, like on the most one of the most um, idyllic idyllic spots in the world, and you were just miserable, and you were sitting mm. there on your own, and you think, well, if I'm not happy here, how am I ever going to find joy? Yeah. Um, and I think sharing that's good because it shows that you know no one no one is exempt, no, and no one's immune, and it doesn't matter what your background is or yeah. you know what asset base you have or whatever. Like um, no one's getting off scot free. Nah, and what. I spoke to Joe Damon about this, the comedian, and he was saying that... Oh, you had Joey D on as well? Yeah, well, I went to uni with him. Right. So I've known him since we were, like, real young. Man, he's done well. He's got a hell of a story. Oh, eh? so awesome. And it's been really cool, you know, for me. You know, I saw him drop out of uni, and he was, like, living in a car, and 
know, he was battling and now he's killing it. But he he really opened up and he made a really good point that I've never thought about that I actually really related to and I think you would definitely as well. Was he was saying so he was going through like a mental kind of a bad patch the last year and he wasn't feeling good, blah, blah, blah. And he'd go talk to people or people would be like, oh, how's it all going, Jody? And he'd be like, well, it's not actually very good. And then people would be like, oh, like what's wrong? And he'd be like, oh, well, you know, my stand-up's not going too well. Business doesn't feel too good. You know, like I just, I feel like I'm letting myself down. And people would just go, oh, yeah, but like everything else is mean, eh? <laughs> and he'd be like, well, well no. I just really. told you it's not. Yeah, but for people outside of the, the social media world, you know, say with you or me, they see that you have all these followers and, you know, you go to the Hellbergs or, you know, you're interviewing these people and you've got this podcast and your job is doing fun things like this and mm. they can't fathom that the rest of your life might not be happy mm. because they just see these things that they aspire to have. I, yeah, yeah. I don't know if I'm like quite vocalizing it right, but I'm sure you've found that where, you know, people might look at you and go, oh, but you've had this radio gig and, you know, everyone knows you and you get to do all these fun things. How how could you be unhappy? Like, No, you just can. And I, I think for me... um. How old are you now? What are you? 27. 27. So I'm 50 now. And I, I was probably, um, I just turned 50 the other way. I was probably like 40, 45, maybe early 40s before I um, before I realised I wasn't happy. And it was like, I, th- I think it's, um, you're constantly like aiming for the next thing. So you're like, yeah. well, right, when I have this, I'll be happy. When I have this, I'll be happy. When I have this house paid off, I'll be happy. When I get another, pro- I'll be happy. And it's like, happiness has got to be here and now. Like, mm-hmm. happiness can't be something you're, you're chasing. Um, so I kept chasing and chasing, and I realised, like, the, the more I had it, it nothing, nothing was bringing me any more joy. What made uh, you realise that? Like, was there, like, a defining moment? Oh, I don't know. I, if there was one defining moment, it's probably, like, a, a number of years ago. Um, this, this ma- uh, yeah, I, I was struggling to label him. Um, I think I'll call him, call him a friend. He was a friend, but he was mainly a colleague. We worked together for a number of years, this guy called Daryl. And um, he he ended up committing suicide um, in one of the most confrontational uh, ways uh, ways imaginable. Like he he stood in front of a train. He was he was like um, he was bipolar and he was miserable. And his 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 wife that morning she said, "Daryl, you need to go to the fucking doctor and get some help." So he went and he dropped his um, dropped his two kids off at school. He saw um, another friend of mine over the road and they shouted at each other about catching up for a barbecue that weekend and Daryl was like, yeah. And ever, from outside his perspective, he was happy as. Then he went to the doctor. I don't know what happened at the doctor. Um, but then that afternoon he wasn't at school to pick his kids up because um, he'd um, yeah, put himself in front of a train in Auckland. Um, and the, like people people knew he had bipolar um jj my ex-wife like sh- she knew had confided in her um his wife knew obviously some some other people knew but people who and i consider myself a pretty good friend with him like when he was living in london i went over there and i caught up with him and we had a night out and you know we'd always check in with each other but um he did not feel comfortable telling anyone that he had any sort of professional relationship with that he was bipolar because he was scared he'd be judged for it mm. or it would limit his career advancement or people would be like, oh, don't give Daryl extra responsibility because, you know, um, which is bloody sad. And yeah. But I, I thought, and I even had this conversation last weekend with an, another mutual friend of um, Daryl and I, um, no one ever thought Daryl would be a person that does that. So it made me realise, like, I need to be more open about stuff. I need to share stuff more um, because otherwise, you know, you never know when that breaking moment's going to be for yourself. Yeah. 
I, it, it was awful. It, it rocked me to my core. And the, the, to, to this day, I still run quite a lot along the um, the Auckland waterfront, um, a road called Tamaki Drive. And whenever I see a train go past at full speed, I just get I get shudders through me and I can't help but think of anything but Daryl. Yeah, that's such a, a scary way to do it. Not I mean, it's like it's, it's someone that absolutely 1,000% doesn't want to be here anymore. Like if you yeah. if you stand in front of a train, there is only going to be one outcome. Yeah. It's not it's not swallowing a bunch of Panadol and seeing what happens. This is this is definitive, and it's yeah. and it's it's fucking sad. Yeah, it's terrible. Um, yeah, wow. How how did you deal with that? Like when it happened? Well, I was numb for a while, and then I didn't address it for a while. And then the more I thought about Daryl, like in the the weeks and months afterwards, um, I realised, you know, just how <laughs> that I wasn't in the best mental shape that I I could be in, and I didn't want to end up being like Daryl because yes, yeah. it's funny. Like he obviously in the, that moment thought the world was a better place without him, which is so fucking wrong. Yeah. Like could not be more further from the truth. And it's like I I thought I I don't want to let myself get into that position, so I need to do something about it. Yeah, because one of my best friends committed suicide when I was at school. Really, like like teenage. Yeah, yeah. We had four kids, and my year group and the year group above die at Kings. It was yeah, it was like really intense. And I, that really like screwed me up for like a long time. Mm. Like he wasn't like my closest mate, but he was like a good friend. You know, like a really good friend. And he um he jumped off one of the over bridges to the motorway. And he was like 15. And that I I was like really messed up for a while after that. But I felt like I was, Shit. yeah, and mm. I was like too young to kind of know how to deal with it. Mm. And it overwhelmed me so much that, and that was kind of also when dad had like just become prime minister. So I had like a lot of things going on in my life and I was like a very young kid. And that's kind of what I talked about in your podcast where like I kind of learned to just shut everything off and I like bottled things like that up. And because I'm, I'm, I wouldn't say I'm like a massively emotional person, but if I go to a funeral, like any funeral, I mm. just like all that emotion comes up. And like even like talking about that, that's why like I didn't have a question for you. Like it, it's mm. like the one thing that still kind of rattles me in it. I think it's because like I didn't deal with it well when I was young. And so, yeah, it's interesting hearing how everyone deals with it because it's such a yeah. I mean, when it when it happens, I'm sure you'll agree with this. Like the, the just the ripple effect. Like, um, you know, for the, the you know the person that's um taking their own life, they obviously think the world's going to be a better place without them, or no one cares, or whatever. And it couldn't be further from the truth. Yeah. And the impact is, you know, a hundred or a thousand people, and uh, it's not the sort of thing you ever forget or get over. No, yeah. My parents always told they told me after that happened, they were very much like, um. Because I think, I know with men particularly that there's a lot of young men that commit suicide. Mm. I think it, I think the number is quite a lot higher than women. I don't know why. I could be wrong on that. Yeah, no, no, that, that is absolutely true. Yeah, I, I don't know why. I think I think it's because, I don't know, we're not as good as communicating or talking about it. Yeah. And then you just get to this frustration level, maybe. I don't know. Yeah, my, my parents sat me down and you know, I still remember the conversation. I was like, yeah, 10 or 11. And they were like, I was like so upset. And, you know, they sat there and said like, just remember, like, please, there's nothing in life that's bad enough on any level that is worth doing that. Mm. You know, they were like, there's always a solution. that It may not feel like that at the time. And that's something that stuck with me for, like, a long time. Like, I've never I've never felt, you know, to the level where I've wanted to, like, take my own life or anything. But I've gone through, like, definite periods of, like, mm. you know, depression or whatever you want to call it. And 
that was kind of what I always tried to remind myself. Yeah. Well, it's such a such a um, permanent solution to such a temporary problem. Problem, yeah. Because every, every problem in life is temporary. Totally. It's like um, yeah, when we were recording this, so a couple of weeks ago we had that massive storm, um, Cyclone Gabrielle, and it's like storms always pass. And yeah. The sun always comes out eventually. You just need to, you, you know, and, and everyone in life, every single person at some point is going to go through some tough shit, and you just need to, like, brace yourself and know that it's going to pass. What's like they say, the, the darkest moments always just before the dawn yeah that is what they say yeah well that's what that's what i've found about like the podcast you know i've interviewed a bunch of people and they're all people i've like looked up to or you know really successful in their own field and they've all said the same thing like they've all gone through really hard times they've all faced tall poppy syndrome they've all suffered adversity but for all of them that's all like driven them to that next phase Mm. and so i think that's what i've learned a lot is you know, it's easy to sit there and look at these people that are rich or successful and just go, oh, their life's perfect. <laughs> yeah. What have they got to complain about? But I think that's yeah. the thing. And I think, you know, that's like what I found cool about going on your one was mm. like a lot of the comments were like, oh, it's changed my perspective on him. And, you know, because I think it is hard. Like, you know, if you're poor and of color, you'll sit there and have your reasons. And if you're rich and white or, you know, everyone that's in a demographic, feels a reason why they should or shouldn't feel how they feel. Mm. And that's the problem with mental health is you could have the best upbringing ever and have every demographic that makes your life easier and you could still be miserable. Mm. Or you could have everything against you and be happy. Yeah, you know. And I think what you said where you don't know what someone's going through, I think that's what some, I guess that's what my point is, is just because someone might look or have something that you do or don't have that doesn't mean everything in their life is perfect. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. mental health just doesn't um, doesn't discriminate. No. So you talked about when we went on um, your podcast about you had started like a mental health journey mm-hmm. um, and like talked about some counselling and stuff. What was, I remember you saying to me that was like the hardest thing you'd done. <laughs> yeah, it was, I don't know, that's such a dumb thing to say, but it's, um, yeah, it's true. Like I put it off for years. I, I don't know, I don't know why. It just... Just it feels like a big leap to make going mm. and seeing a therapist for the first time because it's like I don't know I, I suppose I couldn't pinpoint why I just what I, I just knew I wasn't as happy as what I should be um, yep. and I couldn't pinpoint why but I did I, I so I made an appointment to see a therapist and I wasn't even sure where I was going to start um, thankfully you go in there and you you, you sort of forget they're trained professionals so yeah. they just start the ball rolling and you take it from there but it's the best thing ever it's like um um. Like a personal trainer for your brain, for your brain. Or personal dra- tra- trainer for the neck up. Um, yeah, I, I was lucky enough. I was employed at the time, so the work offered a thing where you could get three free sessions. Oh, that's cool. And then at the end of that, if you wanted more, they'd, they'd usually spring for another three. Um, I understand the cost can be prohibitive for a lot of people. It's like, yeah, and it's hard to even get it. Like when I got my diagnosis with OCD, it took me six months to get someone here. Mm. And my parents were like, "We'll pay anything. We'll do anything to get you." And it was still there's just. Yeah, that, yeah. So I mean, there's there's people out there like Mike King that do um, you know Gumboot Friday, and I am hoping that's a that's a wonderful thing. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I had um I recorded a podcast last week with um Dean Lonigan, you know, former oh, yeah. Kiwi League player, um, and now See the boxer. Yeah, and yeah, an yeah. event promoter. Yeah, I does fight for yeah. life and stuff. Oh yeah. Um, and oh, yeah. he he um he ended up um like one point seven million dollars in debt after wow. he did an event that went wrong and. He was like he was depressed for a year, and he said that the only respite he got in that year from the depression was when he went to sleep at night. 
and then they'd wake up in the morning and then <laughs> it'd be it'd, the first person would be like oh that's right I'm fucking miserable and I'm in the shit um, and he I asked if he talked to anyone professionally and he was like no I was 1.7 million dollars in debt and I had creditors that I needed to pay back so and he, he said I would have loved it it would have been great but I just couldn't afford it and it's terrible to think that there's people out there that um, could really benefit from counselling and could do with it that just can't access it because of the cost yeah well even just getting things off your chest it's crazy how much better you feel mm. you know yeah it's, it's, it's hard and it, it's like for a lot of us guys it's hard to talk to even your best friends but but also your best friends aren't trained counsellors nah <laughs> so even 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 your most empathetic mates you know the ones that aren't, aren't going to go oh harden up you'll be right yeah. and the ones that are going to listen to you they don't know the, necessarily the right thing to say and how do you find going through that as like a public figure well um it, yeah it, 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 it was fine I mean I, I like on the, I was on the radio at the time so I only shared sort of what I wanted to share but um yeah. I I felt I felt quite empowering sharing it because as soon as you share you know you, you realize that other people are going through the same thing and you realize it sort of normalizes it a bit for yeah. other people as well so I sort of had no no issue about that I, n- I never talked on air about the the contents of the meetings or yeah, anything yeah. like that yeah that's interesting how um so how long were you and JJ together for? Oh, we married in 2004, got together in like 1999, um, like maybe, I don't know, 15 years. And when did you start on radio? So we were together for a couple of years and then we started on radio together. So I, I, I was um, working on a radio station in Palmerston North. Oh, you were a Palmy boy? Yeah, yeah. And oh. she was on um, The Edge in Hamilton at that point. Yeah. And we were seeing each other. We were seeing each other for a couple of years. So they were both in the same company. They were a company called um, Radio Works. Oh, right, yeah. yeah. Um, and the boss of Radio Works was actually um, Stephen Joyce, oh, who yeah. was like your dad's right-hand yeah, man. Yeah. The, he was the, the, the minister of everything under your, under your dad's leadership. Which you and, saw him at a cafe on Sunday. Oh, is that right? Yeah. Yeah, Joyce, he's, he's yeah. a great guy. So he made his money in radio. When he became minister, was he minister of finance? I feel like he was minister of... Was no, Bill, Bill English? English was he. Right. Stephen Joyce should have been I think minister he was of transport. Right, he's a he legend, should have been minister of finance. I've never worked for a tighter boss in my life. Because it, really, it was like it was his company, so he was worth millions of dollars, and he was still driving a shitty old Nissan Sentra or something. It was hard to get a cent out of that guy. Yeah, because I didn't realise he, because <laughs> he went to Westpac. I know after politics. Did he so like I was on a board or? What I think was he was he? running. Right, I think he was running it. I think. Don't quote me on that, but. Buzzy, yeah, I didn't realise, because, yeah, I know obviously now he's back there, but I didn't realise that was always his. Yeah, and I, I don't think he really wanted to sell, but I think he was sort of forced out by um, Can West, this Canadian company. Oh. Um, but he, he walked away with, like, millions and millions of dollars, yeah. which he probably <laughs> has not spent a cent off. No. <laughs> <laughs> what, um, what was it like, like, working with your wife? Um, was that tough? It was, it was, no, it was good actually. Like we, we got on really well. Like I, I think I was quite difficult to work with because I took it so seriously and I wanted to do the, you know, I wanted to do the best, the best radio show in New Zealand. Why would um, that make you difficult? Because just high expectations and yeah. like super high standards and not everyone wants to work as hard as what you do. Like I, I always like to think I'd um, lead by example. Like I, I yeah. wouldn't ask someone to do something that I wouldn't do myself mm. and I'd always make sure I work harder than, than anyone else. But it's like, yeah, you you just can't. I don't know. So how in radio, obviously, what what could make you like work harder? Because obviously, you know, if your show's four to six, everyone's working like the same hours. Yeah. Is it more like you'd get up earlier and research your guests more, or you'd yep. find better shows? Yeah, and you just think think harder, put more thought into each segment. Yeah. So what can we? Is so you'd have um say 
say, 10 slots per hour, mm-hmm. 10 content breaks per hour. Um, Which is it 10 per hour? I'd say so in breakfast, yeah, like after every song. And how Maybe, long? Like three or four hours. So you need 40 things a day. Yeah, the 9 o'clock hour is usually more music-based, but the 6 a.m., 7 a.m., and 8 a.m. hour, you have like a grid, and it's got a number of bre- however many breaks there are. And so you, we'd fill the break in, uh, fill the sheet in for the next day, and then you'd be like, right, let's go home and enjoy our day. But I'd go home and I'd be like, is this the best thing we can be doing <laughs> in every break through the morning? I would have been a nightmare to work with, but JJ could be like, Dominic, just fuck off. <laughs> yeah. You know, because we had that sort of relationship. Yeah, yeah. But um, yeah, I look back in hindsight now because we ended up we ended up going through a lot of stuff like fertility treatment and a family adoption that went a bit sour and a few bits and pieces. And I I think I probably prioritised um, the work more than the relationship yeah. and took it for granted in a lot of ways. Yeah. Um, I feel like yeah. a lot of a lot of people can do that in marriage. Mm. I mean, obviously I haven't been married, so I can't talk from experience, but I think it is hard, you know, when say like me now, I'm so obsessed with my company, like and work and like I just don't know how I would give my time. <laughs> or the, the time required, yeah. Yeah. Because that's the thing, relationships take work. Mm. You know, and Yeah, they 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 do. And I think I think that's um that was one of the downfalls in our relationship, and this is probably mainly me, but maybe JJ's got a part to do with this as well. But we took great pride in the fact that we got on so well, we never argued, and things were easy. Um, and I, I look back now, and it's like, um, yeah, we, there were probably things that we just let go, we both let go that we needed to bring up at the time yeah. and sort of like talk or communicate your way through. Do you have like an example of that? Or? No, no, I can't think of anything specifically, but it's like, yeah, no. No, I, I can't really, but it's, oh, no, not not really, not Cause, really. Because one thing I find interesting, my, my parents' standing joke is, so they've been married for like 35 years or something, and everyone goes, oh, what's the secret to a good marriage? <laughs> and my mum always goes, well, he was only there for nine of them. <laughs> <laughs> and that's like their kind of yeah. like go-to joke. So that, that's kind of what made me want to ask what it was like, you know, working with with your wife. Oh, no, we, we, had a, we had a great working relationship, but I suppose it was hard to have that separation. So it's like... Yeah, because um, it would have feel like... Yeah, completely. So you'd, we'd be sitting at home in the evening watching TV and something would come up. I'd be like, oh, shit, that's a... that's Fuck, we should talk about that tomorrow. We could do this. Mm. So you, you're not having that um, time where you're strictly off the clock. Yeah. You're always sort of thinking about work or talking about work or, you know, should load the dishwasher in a funny way and I'll be like oh that's oh, we should talk about that tomorrow morning like oh do the yeah. knives go up or down <laughs> oh, wait under the edge <laughs> JJ Mike and Dom do <laughs> buzzing <laughs> that's good oh no honestly it's like um, so my girlfriend at the moment she was um, she's in Wellington she was up a couple of months ago and we are in the car one morning we were driving along and we were listening to a breakfast radio show on one of the music stations I won't say what one um, but she was like when you were on the radio like did you do shit chat like this? <laughs> and uh, I laughed because I thought, oh, suck, these guys are doing shit chat. Uh, so, but in their defense, I said to her, listen, you've got to do like eight, nine, ten breaks an hour. Yeah. So there is a lot of shit chat that you have to end up doing. Like, yeah. do the knives go up or down in the dishwasher? But people kind of like, <laughs> people like love it though, that kind of stuff. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. It kind of works. It's relatable. But uh, yeah, when, you, when, you, when you're shitting out that much content, you know, not everything's going to be a, a yeah. home run. Nah. And would you guys like repeat a lot of content? Nah. Oh, surely there's only so many times the knives can go. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I, I see what you mean. Yeah, you do sort of find when you're when you're targeting like a certain demographic. Like I think the edge was 
I don't know, like I want to say, like I, I, I never really worried about demographic. My thing was just doing a great show, and if people like it, they'll listen to it. And I, I more prefer the term like a, a psychograph, like a, mm. it's a certain type of person that's going to listen. So if someone's 55 and they want to fucking listen, great, welcome yep. aboard. Um, but from a marketing perspective and a management perspective, they have like a demographic. So the edge is probably, I don't know, 18 to 29 or 18 to 34. Um, so you do sort of find... You, you get if you're there long enough you get older and older and then maybe every six months one year two years you do repeat the content all yeah. of the stuff comes up or you have you know, I was telling you the the producers you know it's a position that they sort of get cycled through quite yeah, quickly yeah. Um, they'll come along they'll be like hey we should do this thing tomorrow morning like do the knives go up or down yeah we're like yeah we did that three months did ago did that in 07, 09 <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's a bit like that but it's probably like politics like every couple of years like oh, nation yeah. will suggest the youth boot camp or whatever yeah yeah <laughs> Um, one thing I I was always wondering because obviously in radio no one knows what you look like I guess these days you know there's more billboards and stuff like that there's a a bit more but still not much it's still mainly an audio based experience yeah would you be like ordering a coffee and someone goes I've heard that voice but they wouldn't know it's like you yeah, that that, that 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 does, and it still still does happen happen mm. a little bit, uh, and it's quite it's quite good. And um, yeah, one thing that I, I thought was quite nice is uh, yeah when people feel compelled to come up and talk to you because they yeah. they've they've um, recognised you or they know you because it, to me that says you know they've they've listened to you and they've made you've made a connection with them. Yeah. So if someone goes up to um, say like uh, I don't know Dr Chris Warner on Shortland Street they go up to him because they like his character mm. which is not that's, that's um, not him. Dr Chris Warner it's not Michael Galvin if someone goes up to Mike McRoberts chances are they probably, it's probably just because they recognize him from the TV rather yeah. than necessarily know you know the personality or much about the man himself um, but from a radio perspective yeah if someone comes up to you and to to you know shake your hand or meet you it's because you've made that connection with them yep. which I think is like really powerful and really special yeah but do you, did you not find kind of on the edge you were a slightly different person to like the real you? Yeah, yeah. I was probably more excited, like just a more fun version of myself. Yeah. It always seemed yeah. like such a fun job though. I remember like, because I'd always call him a dad and, you know, it's like real intense when you're in there, you know, the producer's going nuts and it's yeah. like, bang, we're on. And then, I don't know, it definitely seems like a fun job. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's um, sort of con- controlled chaos. Like, mm. yeah, there's, there's, there's a lot going on. Um, but it's fun. And, and I do miss that feeling sometimes of, um, you know, that chaos and that panic. And, uh, yeah, there's, there's just a lot, like a lot going on. How and then you get to an end of a show and like a three-hour show, four-hour show, and you're just sort of exhausted. Yeah. But it's a great exhaustion feeling. It's like you've just given everything of yourself. And it was the is morning or drive kind of morning. Morning's the, is that the prime big? slot. Yeah, morning, did, morning, and then drive. How did you feel when you got promoted to morning for the first time? Well, I would kind of a mine was kind of a weird journey. So I I got into radio at um, this station in Palmerston North called Two um, XCCFM, which is now like one of the more FM stations. And this is before like computer automation. So I I was live from midnight to six a.m. Um, which the shittiest hours ever. Yeah. Fuck, I looked unhealthy. <laughs> I never got any vitamin D. Yeah. I no. was so pale and I was 18, so I had acne everywhere. <laughs> um, so I was doing midnight to six. And then the, the breakfast guy, um, who is actually still there now, like 30 something years later, Mike West, um, I'd join him in, on the air and I was like a character on his show. And then um, that I ended up becoming like quite popular as a character on his show. So I got to the point where instead of going, 
the other way around the clock, like most people do, you go, you did midnight to six, and then you'd be the night guy from seven to midnight, then maybe days, like 10 a.m. to 2 p.m., and then afternoons, then breakfast. I sort of went straight from overnights to breakfast. Oh, cool. On his show, and then um, I remained there, like, ever since. And how do they choose that it's like JJ, Mike, and Dom, not Dom, Mike, and JJ? <laughs> oh, <laughs> there's always... Um, <laughs> I don't know. It's weird. Eh? They think, oh, what sounds best? And then um, it was, uh, I think it was Jace, Jace, JJ, and Dom for a while. This You're probably too young to remember this. Jason Reeves, he's, he does the breakfast show on Coast now. So it's Jace, JJ, and Dom. Then another consultant came along and said, oh, yeah, no, it's JJ and Dom are too much of a couple, so we need to separate their names. So it was JJ, Mike, and Dom. Yeah. Was oh. like, and I, so I, I still scratch my head about it now. I think they overthink it sometimes. JJ, Mike, and Dom, that, that's one that stuck with me. Yeah, well, that was probably because it was a, like we were together for a long time, and it was yeah. a very successful show as yeah, well. You guys were awesome. Yeah, that was with we, Mike Peru, right? Yeah, and he was yeah. he was great to work with. Yeah. He was, um, he was, um, yeah, he was, I, I, I used to come up with most of the ideas and Mike would say I'd be like Mike come on bring more to the table bring more to the table and he's like well you, you guys are doing enough you guys are doing enough so I don't need to do anything and that was sort of his thing but um, he was one of the best co-hosts I've ever had he was so easy to work with yeah. and so chilled and so good and um, yeah he so he, he's he's gay um, he, he came out on the air and when, I, when I say came out it was a, a strange experience because it was like um Everyone knew he was gay. Like, we knew his partner, his parents knew he was gay, but he had to make this, or felt that he had to make the step where the audience um, knew he was gay as well. I think it just became hard for him to tell personal stories on the air because they'd talk about his partner and mm. had talk about, um, oh, they do this and they do that. And he couldn't say him. Oh. Um, so so he, he came out and I saw what a big deal it was for him. Like, yeah. he was... He he was so sick and so nervous and so worried about it, and he came out. And then I th- I think he was like sort of expecting, I don't know, like gay bashing on the drive home or people at traffic lights to, you know, hit him with homophobic slurs or anything. But it, yeah, people couldn't have been nicer. That's awesome that um, he got that he got a um, good reception on that. Yeah, hundred percent of us. Because that would be so. It's, it's devastating for me that he thought there was going to be anything other than a yeah a good perception. Yeah. Well, I had um. I had Samuel Levi on yesterday, the oh, yeah. guy from Meredith. Yeah, Fusser. yeah. And he, um, he's gay, and he, we were talking about like coming out, and his mum was, you know, was like, "Oh, have I done something wrong?" And <laughs> I think for a lot of parents, it's just that initial shock. And yeah, then, uh, I got an old flatmate of mine from Palmy North, uh, Stu. Um, so he was. We, we were living together when he was like nineteen, and he he was uh, yeah. He, he, he knew he was gay then, but he couldn't tell his parents. And then he, eventually he told his parents who were religious, and his mum's a Scottish lady. And she was like, oh, my God, get the Bible. We need to pray for our son. <laughs> and then after a period of adjustment, they came right. They came right. It does seem weird, though, eh? because it's like if you're heterosexual, you don't need to go to your parents and say, hey, I've decided that this is the way I'm going to go with yeah. my sexuality. And I feel like we'll get to the point where it's just a non-conversation, but it's still, yeah. it is still an existent thing now. Well, almost being hetero now is more different than I don't know I feel like a lot of people I don't know I think because it's way more open it seems I don't know I think I think we were talking about that yesterday I, th- I think it's actually really cool how like inclusive everyone is now yeah like, that's how it should be yeah. yeah well it's crazy to think you know 50 years ago like it was illegal it was illegal yeah, you know it's like, bonkers yeah well that that's where it's been quite nuts for people kind of my well probably even crazier for your generation but you know for me just even in the space of the last 10-15 years how different everything is like I was talking mm. about how no one at my school had come out like 
not one person. I reckon 20, 25% of my year groups. Were you, were you at a boys' school or a boys' school? school? Yeah. Yeah, because I was the same. I went to a, a boys' school, um, and, uh, Palmas North Boys High. And um, I, I don't know, maybe it was the same when you were at school. Maybe it was different. I'd like to think it's different because we're different generations. But this is um, like 1986 to 1990 we're talking about now. Every single day, some someone would call you a faggot. Mm. Like it was like there were homophobic slurs. Were oh, just, it was terrible. Were just rife. Was it still like that? Still you know? like that. Really? Yeah, yeah, yeah it was real bad. Really? So this yeah. is in the year two thousands. Oh yeah, no, that was two thousand ten. Wow. Yeah. But and I, I look back now. So there was um, like over a thousand boys at that school when I was there, um, and I didn't know anyone that was gay. But by by you know. Presume percentages like there was at least a hundred gay boys there. Yeah, I can't imagine what a horrible experience it was for them, and then oh, how hard it made for them to embrace and accept their sexuality. Well, that's what he was saying. You know, he had girlfriends, and you know, was living like a hetero life, and he still got called like homo and all those different things. And I mean, God, it'd be uh, that's what just what we were talking about. It'd be so hard in yourself, not even knowing where your head's at, and mm. you've got all these people like bullying you for it, and. I don't know. I think I think that what my kind of point about it all was, I feel like at high school there's so much going on mentally. You know, you're trying to work yourself out. You're trying to, you know, in these days, you know, even your pronoun and stuff isn't like definitive. And mm. it must be tough, I think, as these younger kids, you know, just to me that's so much to deal with. Mm. But yeah, it's a lot. Actually, I'm I'm um, quite surprised that you told me that that's still good. Surely, surely now it doesn't. Like, surely now you'd be um, like, in tra- you'd like to think someone would be suspended for a yeah, well, <laughs> homophobic slur now. Well, bullying when I was at Kings was terrible. Yeah, it was really really bad. Um, well, they had a system called fagging that that went away before I got there. But it was basically where the year thirteen would kind of have like a year nine. And they would become like their slave sort of thing. Oh, like a hazing sort of thing? or Kind of, but it was called fagging. Nothing to do with like the homosexual. Right. But like literally it would, they would like make the year 13's breakfast and they would, you know, like pack their, like they literally were like their slave effectively. Right. I understand that, that but they, they need to rebrand it. I know, yeah. Well, <laughs> that, that got taken out before I got there. So I think that right. was something, you know, back in the day. But yeah, there was definitely like. The, the sorry, I said prime minister. The, the headmaster that came in when I was there really clamped down on bullying. Right, like it went from, it was like a very common thing to you were expelled straight away. Mm-hmm. But it still happened, you know, because you don't want to be that kid that's like, because I copped heaps of shit when I was at school. Did you? What about? Oh well, I, feel, I don't think anyone really gets off scot free. Eh, nah, but, nah. But then, yeah, what did you, what did you get bullied about? Well, I was I was the shortest kid in my year group. I was like. um I was five foot one when I left school, year 13. Like, I was tiny. So people called you, like, Oompa Loompa? Mid- yeah. Midget? Midget. I got, <laughs> I got called Badger because I didn't hit <laughs> I didn't hit puberty until I was, like, 19. So I was, like, the hairless Badger. I got called Granny Legs. Granny Legs? Why? You skip leg day one time too many? No, I just, I don't know. I think <laughs> granny legs. I get really cold, so yeah. I get these, like, veins on my legs. Mm. So I got called Granny Legs. Oh, yeah, just got it all. But... You know, yeah, I think everyone's going to get a nickname, eh? Like, oh yeah. I, I had braces, so that made me an, you know an easy target. Um, but I, I sort of found out in all boys' school, people will, will always find something that oh, they can latch always. onto. But that was the hard thing. You didn't want to be that kid, like coming home and being like, "Oh, I'm getting bullied." And mm. I found it, but you know, I was kind of going through all that, and then you know, Dad was Prime Minister, and you know, I had these friends die, and 
I felt like there was like just a lot going on and that I think that was the problem with it is I think I heard I, I watched a really buzzy podcast where they were saying bullying's really good and they're saying that like it was a he had a very confusing way of explaining it but basically you know we talk about a lot of these successful people and you know we were talking about this off here how almost everyone that's successful is like a bit of a sicko you know they're kind of freakishly obsessed with stuff you know mm-hmm. it's like how you were saying with your show you know I'd be at home I couldn't switch off blah 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 like but that's why you had a really successful radio career yeah. you know you talk to like my dad it was every day I was in the mirror saying I'm going to be the prime minister like he was just freakishly is that right he was doing like affirmations and, yeah and he's like not into spirituality or wow. that shit at all but he just did that without even he just had that confidence Broner must have been like, who are you talking to, John? Yeah. No, nobody, nobody. Oh, he's always talking oh, to himself. Be the Prime Minister. <laughs> really? When I want oh, like, oh, you'll just you'll just be like in the kitchen and he'll be like, oh yeah, I need a I'm like, what? And he's like, oh, is that just how he processes things or Yeah, but he is always talking to himself. Like he has right. full noise conversations with himself. Like you'll see him at the driving <laughs> range and I'll be like, Who are you on the phone to? And he's like, no one. I'm like, you were literally talking for like half an hour. But that's like, yeah, he like does everything. He just talks to himself. Not in like a like crazy way. Maybe yeah, when he's yeah, 80, yeah. it'll look yeah. crazy. <laughs> but I think where I was going with it yeah. was bullying in a way, like it taught me resilience. Mm. You know, every day I woke up and I'd come home like crying from school and like, you know, because it was like physical bullying as well. And I was like, I was a pussy back in the day. Like I was this short little fat kid that you know, couldn't get girls to look at me. And so, like, I found it hard. You know, I'd come home, I felt like such a loser, like all the cool kids thought I was such a tool. Mm. And I think it, like, broke me as a person. And his, this guy's argument was that with bullying, it teaches that resilience and, like, it creates, like, a, a form of mental toughness. Mm. But it's such a confusing thing because, say, in my life, I've gone through it where that's like why I'm so self-conscious and want to go to the gym because I hated that I got called granny yeah. legs and you know it's created that desire in me to be like I'm going to prove you guys wrong which has created success but at the same time it's like created bad habits I guess so it's going to be mm. really interesting if they completely rule because as you said everyone's been bullied you know there's very few people that have got through scotch free and life mm. and so I think it's going to be really interesting to see like what the next generation's like with all of that stuff just ruled out and how... Yeah, because I think we're even starting to see sort of maybe elements of it now, like in the workplace, where someone will get told to do their job. Yeah, they don't want to... And they'll be like, oh, uh, he's bullying me. Yeah. <laughs> or you give someone a performance pro- pro- uh, a, a performance appraisal and it's not what it should be. And they're like, oh, he's being mean to me. It's like, yeah. no, we just want you to do your job. But, um, yeah, I mean, building resilience is so, so important. I think the, the things about bullying, though, you just don't know... If the person can can handle that or not, and uh, yeah, no, it's it's terrible. Not everyone's oh, as, as strong as the other person. And nah. why? Well, I, I literally, everyone always sits there and goes, "Oh, I miss school," and you know they were obviously like the cool kid at school. I hated school. Like mm. every minute of my life there was a misery. And I think, I actually think I've thought about this a lot. I think when everyone sits there and goes, "Oh, you chased the fame with DJing and blah blah blah," I just think it's completely opposite. I think I went from being this like fat chubby loser to like all of a sudden like girls thought I was like hot and mm. people wanted to be my friend and it was I don't think it was as deep as everyone thinks I think it was a little I, I think everyone, everyone's just searching for some sort of like um, you know 
affirmation or yeah. flowers or clout or whatever you want to call it. But I think it's like what you talked about at the start of the podcast where if you keep chasing that next thing, mm. you realize doesn't bring you happiness. So no, I thought, happiness has got to be here and now. And I think that's what's been my big journey was that phase of my life was very much like, oh, if I get with this girl, I'll feel mm. happy. Or if I get this amount of followers or if I play this gig. And I kept doing all that and nothing was bringing me joy. Mm. And then that I think that was when I had that realization. Now, kind of like I talked about with you, I literally just sat down and wrote everything I want to do in life and kind of mm. repurposed myself. And I think... You know, it's been cool going through that journey, but yeah, it's interesting to see if people will be able to build that resilience without without that. Yeah, I um, it's so important. Um, mm. Yeah, I'd say you, you need to do it. You need to do the work, and the best time to do that work is when you when you don't need it, which is it's hard. But if you're in a mentally good space, I think that's the time where you need to like work on yourself, and it might even be like starting with a like a one minute cold shower every morning. That's but, so good to do. Yeah. Oh man, I love it. Yeah, I love it because it's like. I mean, I, I don't love it. I fucking hate it. But it's like you're starting your day by forcing yourself to do something uncomfortable, Terrible. something that you know you don't want to do. And then immediately afterwards, you feel a million dollars so good, eh? um, because the water's freezing. But also you've made yourself do something unpleasant. And then I think when unpleasant things happen in your life, then you sit there and go, well, I do this every morning. I can mm. deal with it. Mm. That's what jujitsu is all about. It's actually about dealing with uncomfortable situations. And that's something like our sensei tells us to do. He's like, every day you have to have a cold shower. And I'm always standing there and it's like on my toes. And I'm like, oh, maybe, maybe I'll just do one tomorrow. And then you force yourself in and you're like, ah. Yeah. But then yeah. it's so worth it. Well, so worth it. Sarah Hidney from um, the Black Ferns, and she's New Zealand woman's seventh team. She's won a couple of gold medals. She um, hasn't had a warm shower in three years. Wow. I was talking to her about it. I was like, oh, yeah. I'm like, yeah, I, 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 I have it hot and I have a shave and clean myself. And then I go cold for one minute at the end. Oh, you start hot and then go cold. Yeah. Do you oh, go, that's, do you, I just go straight cold. I'm in and out. Oh, you see, you're full cold as well. Oh, yeah. Like Sarah. Yeah. I, oh, you're a savage. Yeah. Well, <laughs> God, but then that's even worse being like, you can have this luxurious warm shower and then bang cold. Nah. <laughs> it's a shock to the system. Oh. But it's, isn't it it's, it's like doing hot cold, like sauna and then ice bath? Yeah, like, but I'd always go. a hot shower and then a cold shower, it's like a mild version of that. I'd always go ice bath, sauna. Oh, cold then hot. Oh, so you end on the good stuff. I think so, yeah. yeah. yeah I always eat the stuff I don't like first and then... Save the steak. <laughs> well, that's how, yeah, that's how I eat my food. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, maybe I'll try that. Yeah, I reckon you just, I don't know. I guess for me, the cold shower isn't anything I enjoy. It's just like I'm doing it to create misery in my life. Mm. So I yeah, try to just. So that, that's the thing. But you know, you were talking about um, the podcast you were listening to before and the importance of bullying at school. I think like creating um, resilience by creating misery for yourself in your own mm. life is different to someone else being, a, being an asshole to Oh, you totally. And that's why, like, I'm not in any way sitting here saying people yeah. should be bullied because I like that to me was the worst. It fucking sucks, man. Oh, horrific. But that point of resilience, that that's what he was trying to argue. I mm. think, you know, it's one of those things where like, I think the route he went down probably wasn't, wasn't right. Mm. But you see what he means. I mean, yeah. there was a guy, there's a guy, Gordon Ryan, who's like the, um, it's kind of like the goat of jujitsu. Like he hasn't lost in like 10 years, which... Jiu-jitsu is not like a sport like tennis where someone wins all the time. It's mm. so dynamic that like it's very hard to be on a win streak kind of thing. Like if you win more than four times in a row, it's crazy. Mm. And this guy's won like 52 times in a row. Wow. So he's just like this genetic freak. But anyway, he, he's like a multimillionaire now. You know, he's been the most successful guy in the sport. He's got all these brand deals. And he 
has started this thing this year where he's like, my life's too comfortable now because it used to be hell for him. You know, it's only in the like last three years has he found success. And so he's like, put this thing up on New Year's and he's like, for the rest of the year, I'm selling my nice cars. I'm going to drive this like shitty Toyota. And he like sleeps on the floor. I mean, he's still living in like <laughs> oh, a God. mansion, but he's like <laughs> creating. Like David Goggins shit. <laughs> literally. Though. And well, like Goggins does that. He, yeah. no matter how comfortable his life gets, he just forces himself mm. to be miserable. Which I think, it's so weird, but I think that's like, jujitsu is an easy way of putting that in your life. You know, you got some big dude strangling you. It's pretty mm. not enjoyable. But it's so weird because then, it's like what I was saying, you know, when we did your one. There's something about it where something goes wrong in your life and you sit there and you go, I've got through this before. Mm. Obviously not like the exact situation, but it's almost, it's like what you said about training your brain. And I think that to me is why the cold shower is so amazing because it's such a simple way of you don't want to do it it sucks your whole body's screaming like stop 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 mm. but the fact you stay in i don't know it just it's just that increment you do it every day and then all of a sudden you're like i don't know i just think life yeah. gets easier I, I i agree i don't i don't agree with the sleeping on the floor though no nah, that's what we're there. You're <laughs> i've got back. a very nice mattress which yeah. i intend to use every day but um yeah introducing some form of misery to your life i think is, is a bloody good thing do you find is running your kind of jujitsu yeah, I guess so. I, I like putting myself in that discomfort, and I always feel I feel so good after a run every single mm. time. Like I went out for um, a hilly one this morning, just like ten k, and it, it was oh, just an easy ten. <laughs> it was, it was, it was. Um, oh, there were moments in it that were really unpleasant and unenjoyable, but it's then you're in the shower afterwards. This is the hot part of the shower, the hot part, the, yeah, yeah. and you're like, "Fuck, I feel good now. I feel really good." So you're telling me, so you go for a big sweaty run, and then you decide, "I'm going to have the hot shower first. You've got to get the sweat off me. <laughs> wouldn't, wouldn't you want to go like cold then? I don't, I'll try it. I'll try. It. Will it make you happy if I'll try? I would it? love that. Oh, yeah, yeah. maybe. Film it. Go live. Go Instagram. Live. <laughs> I'll come back with a report. Yeah. How um? Because I feel like you've kind of got the the gazelle body. You look like a runner. Yeah, you, I, I didn't always. That's that's happened you? over a period of years. Ah. Yeah. Because yeah, you very much like, like you end up you, if you do jujitsu for like eight hours a day or whatever the fuck you were doing, you end up with a jujitsu body. Yeah, my body's changed. I yeah. had to throw my entire wardrobe out. Mm, I suppose like if you if you run. Um, Far enough and for long enough, like your body just um, evolves and adapts to yeah what it thinks it needs to do. That's one thing I love about the Olympics, is obviously all these people are at like the peak of their sports, mm. but you'll see them walking out and you're like, that's a kayaker, and you're like, that's a cycler, <laughs> yeah. And they just all have these perfect bodies for whatever, yeah. You know, like you look at cyclists, they have these like skinny ass arms, and, and then they're massive legs, oh, massive, and then you know. I just reckon that's so cool. You just see that everyone, they all look so different, but they're so tailored to. Yeah, so good. Eh? You're like, whoa, that is a shot putter. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, because I couldn't believe, you know, that Kipchoge guy. Oh, yeah, Elliot Kipchoge, yeah, the greatest marathon runner of all time. Yeah, he's yeah. seriously impressed with that guy. I could, I Googled him. He weighs like 40 kilos. Yeah, they're tiny. They're tiny. There's nothing to them. They Actually, the top marathoners, even um, like the New Zealand guys, they, they almost look ill. Yeah. Because there's just no fat on them. Kipchoge, I'd. Do you, do you remember much about Lance Armstrong or were you sort yep. of too... Yeah. Uh, I, I remember, I vaguely, you know, it was kind of like Michael Schumacher. Right, okay. I knew a lot about yeah. him and then his downfall, if that's what you want to call yeah, it, absolutely. was kind of when I was probably like 15. So I, 
Because he, he he was a beast, so he was like the um, like the, the Tiger Woods of cycling. Like mm. he made cycling kind of cool for a while. Um, but everyone, <laughs> <laughs> Dom Harvey calls out cyclists. <laughs> no, but it made it like it brought it into the mainstream. Yeah, I guess. Um, and I um, like, but everyone knew he was a cheat. Everyone knew he was a cheat. Well, like, even before. Yeah, because cycling's a dirty sport. Everyone knew that he was a cheat. You couldn't be that good without cheating. So when he did his Oprah interview, like, I wasn't that mad at him or anything because it's like, well, it's a filthy sport and he's just done it better than anyone else. Yeah, here's a quick question. If yep. everyone's cheating and you cheat, do you think you're a cheater? Yeah, because I think, you know, yeah, like in the, in the sport of cycling, it's like, yeah. Because mm. in jiu-jitsu, it's not, um, it's not US. DGA, whatever it's called, approved. Right. So they like they all dope. Right. Like if you if you search like these Gordon Ryan guys up, they are like like I asked my sensei, I literally said if I wanted to be the black belt world champ of like the pro division and I wanted to do it clean, what percentage could I have of winning that? And he said zero. <laughs> yeah, see I, th- I think it was like that with cycling, like the yeah. Tour de France. But then you you know it's on your conscience though, right? Yeah. So I suppose it's a, if you can live with that on your conscience or not. So did everyone know even when he was like winning? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh. Every, everyone, everyone sort of yeah. Well, I, I was doing a bit of cycling at the time, so everyone in the cycling sort of sort of knew. Like it was well documented. It's like no one can win the Tour de France that many years in a row and do it clean. But you know, I, I was going somewhere with that. Like if, if Kipchoge, if, if it ever comes out that Kipchoge is a, a doper, I'll just be devastated. Yeah. I'll be heartbroken. How so the things that he has done for distance running is phenomenal. How could he? Um how could he dope though? Is it more like he could like put oxygenated blood or because he's obviously not on steroids? Like I, the guy's tiny. Yeah, I don't know. I don't really understand how it works or what it does. Because that is, wasn't that what Lance was doing? He was like centrifuging his blood, like with blood oxy- transfusion. Yeah, I I don't know. I don't really understand enough about it to know. Because it, what I love is like when you watch these. I, I remember I watched Kipchoge. Was he? Did he win the Olympics? Oh yeah, yeah. He, I, th- I think he won it. Um, the 5,000 and 10,000 um, metre distance, and then, um, yeah, this is in his 20s, and then progressed to marathon. Yeah. yeah he's, he's, mate, he's, he is, he's that much better than everyone else. Oh, because he, he obliterated it. Like, the, I remember I watched one, it was last year. I don't know whether it was the Olympics or – I think it was, and he, man. Yeah, mate, so, so it was super hot at the Olympics. Um, so this is, these are the last ones at uh, Tokyo that were yeah, delayed, well, yeah, it was delayed, Tokyo, yeah. delayed a year with COVID. Um, so there was like a front pack. So Kipchoge was in the front pack. Um, Jack Robertson, the New Zealand guy. He did really well, didn't he? he well, he was in the front. He, he faded at the end, but he was in the front pack. So you'd see Kipchoge uh, on the camera, and then in the background, you'd be like, oh, shit, go New Zealand, go New Zealand. But Kipchoge was just playing with everyone. Yeah, and then he boosted Kipchoge was setting the pace, and then at 30Ks, 35Ks, whatever it was, um, that's when he, you know, decided to make his move and he just left everyone in his wake what blows my mind is um, you don't realise how quick they're going and then you'll see the little kids on the side <laughs> trying to run it and you're like yeah. damn and even their splits like I remember oh mate it's crazy aren't they running like nearly three minute splits yeah, for yeah, like 42k yeah like three minute k- they're sprinting they're sprint- for, for an average person they're sprinting I don't basically. even think I could run a three minute k once yeah. like just one k I, I did a 306 a few years ago when I was like really, really fit. I was old at the time, but I, you know, I was still really fit, but I've never done a sub 3K. So and they're, they're sort of peeling them off one after the other. Yeah, so they're doing 3K for the whole... Yes. Wow. That's bonkers. Yeah, I, mem- I remember I got reasonably fit at one point, and I thought doing like five-minute Ks for 5K was like boosting. 
<laughs> I'm not a runner. I'm going to check. I'm sorry, I already told you that. But man, three minute cake. That is just. Yeah, it's nuts. Honestly, it's crazy. But anyway, you should move on to another subject because I could talk about this all day. No, I'm quite. I'm interested in that. Yeah, I. I'm so mindful, of, so mindful of my running chat, eh? Because I know that for most people it's probably punishingly boring. No, I think. I mean, I don't know. See, running's always that one thing I wish. I was saying to you, like, some people glide on their feet. I wish I was that guy, eh? Like, it's so sick. But. Man, I'm just big boned, I think. Mm. And when I run, like my shins give way. And I don't like, know. Like you're a you're a hyper fixator. I, I think if you decided to try running and you really got into it, you'd probably get quite good at it. Yeah. Well, my my auntie's a lot like me, and she is a freak. She she's like I think she's one coast to coast. Wow. And she's like super into like her definition of a holiday is like going for like a 2,000 kilometer cycle through <laughs> France. There's a lot of people like that. Oh, I, we I see them commendable. In, we see them in Hawaii. We'll be like driving like on the on the freeway and there'll be some dude with his wife just battling in like 35 degrees heat on the side of a motorway and you're like, why aren't you at the beach? Like, how? <laughs> <laughs> no, but they'll probably be at the beach later that day and they'll have a, they'll, the, the cocktail for them will taste better than the Much cocktail better. for anyone else. That is very um, true. Oh, while we were on that, yes, so I, I had one message this week and I forgot all about this completely. And I was, I was, I don't, I don't know if I would have brought it up anyway if I remembered it. But um, someone said, oh, I, I listened to your podcast. I'm disappointed that you didn't bring up the um, the Instagram story Max did where he said, um, real, real men ride women. Oh, yeah. <laughs> That was a shocker. So, so, so what was that? So you were you're in your car, yeah. And you went past a cyclist, like a lycra clad cyclist. Yeah. Well, this, this, <laughs> it honestly, was, it was funny. This story was okay. So this story needs context because <laughs> everyone goes. I lost so many deals because of that. Like, did you actually? Oh, like I feel like you'd be in more, way more trouble now if you did it than then. But even then, but see, okay, even then, I genuinely, I've like gone through a lot of articles and a lot of stuff from that time period i genuinely think i was one of the first people globally that posted something online and got smoked for it because obviously now you and me would sit here and you would never say that like so how old were you at the time by the way for some context i was like 20 right so this was seven eight years ago okay and so think about eight years ago who was getting blasted for dumb shit you know Mm. instagram came out properly in like 2012 and this was like 2015. And there was no such thing as like Instagram fame. There kind of was. But it was one of the very early examples of like someone posting something really mm. dumb. And because dad was prime minister at the time. And it went so global. Yeah. Like it was in the New York Times. It was everywhere. And see now, obviously everyone sits there and you would never, ever, ever, ever do anything like that. But, you know, think about like what Johnny Danger and stuff was posting back then. Mm. And, you know, I suppose is it because like for Johnny Danger, if he... If he if he said that same thing, it would be like on brand for him. Same as like if, if Logan or Jake Paul. Yeah, but see that that's the thing. Those right. remember those guys all got away with that back then. But I don't reckon they do now. Mm. If Logan Paul said half the stuff, because think about how many of these people now are getting called up for things that they wrote like seven years ago. Right. And that was the thing. And I yeah, by the way, I think that's really unfair. Like if you don't get caught up, it's like whenever I watched a Pamela Anderson documentary on Netflix the other day, and there's some old clips that they play of um, David Letterman and Jay Leno, like have, you know, saying inappropriate things in interviews with her. But it's like that they were the waters we were swimming in at the time. Yeah. So if it was it was part of the then. social fabric then, it's unfair that you get caught up for it now. Yeah. So like there's even been things with friends like body shaming, yeah. you know, ugly naked guy from across the hall. Yeah. So like, I, I think I think if it's acceptable in the past, then I don't know. Yeah. No, I agree with that. I think um one thing that Art Green said to me, this was quite funny. I found 
I like bumped into him at a thing like a year or two ago and he's like, man, because you know how you were saying that's not on brand for me. I kind of got to a point where my brand was I could say anything I'm doing, <laughs> which obviously, you know, I've lived to regret. But he came up to me. He's like, man, I just wish I had not done that. But he's like, I can't say or do anything because he's got this like Mr. Paleo, clean, green, mm. healthy guy. So he can't like yeah, go can't say be. something stupid or be off brand. Whereas my brand was like known for just mm. ridiculousness. And it was funny. I'd never thought about that. And that's kind of what I used to think of, like, say, like, Johnny. And I remember even, like, Logan and Jake Paul. Like, I used to watch their stuff back in, like, 2016 when they first had, kind of blew up as vloggers. And I'd sit there and go, man, I get grilled for stuff that's, like, a quarter as bad as what these guys do every day. And then Logan had that suicide forest thing. And since yeah, then. Yeah. But see, my me saying the real men ride women thing was two years before the suicide forest. To put context on, like, how early it was. So it was kind of a massive wake up call to me where, I mean, cause this is the thing, how many young men in particular have ever yelled something out of a window at someone when they're 18, 19, you know? Um, mate, me and my friend, I, I, I'm not, I'm not admitting this to gloat or anything because I'm, I'm ashamed of it. And, uh, you know, I'm mortified now, but me and my friends, we, we drive along. If there was, if there was a girl on a bike or walking, we'd toot and then we'd all wave on the other direction. Oh, right. Yeah. So she'd look at the, look at the other. Yeah. Yeah. That's mean though. Oh yeah. But, but that's the thing. So I just think as like young guys, a lot of us did stupid, you know, Mm. you would never do that now. I would never yell that at a cyclist now yeah but i was like a young kid and social media was this new thing and i was starting to get these followers and i just thought it was funny i was 20 i had no realization of the impact it and then all of a sudden it's like in the new york times dad's flying home from south america to like literally mm. kill me like oh really do you get in trouble oh, like, what, I, what, what happens paint a picture what happens then Sorry, I'm hijacking your podcast here. No, no, no. So, <laughs> man. God, I, I can only imagine. Dad's very, like, sometimes you get him so pissed <laughs> that it's just, like, there's just silence. And there's just, like. Just like a white hot rage. It's just, like, how <laughs> did this happen? Like, and you're just sitting there and you're like, oh, shit. Like this, oh. It's just like that raging disappointment <laughs> and so it's not, not so he's not even not even yelling at you or, nothing like, oh, I he, suppose he, he knows that you know you've fucked up oh yeah and this was like so imagine like there's one thing like you do it and it's like oh Sally down the road's pissed it's like you're in the New York Times basically like just shitting on cyclists globally <laughs> oh, no. and women why I'm you know I'm the Prime Minister and you are now global headlines, <laughs> and you're an asshole. And it's just like, oh. I don't know. I don't think it came from a mean place, though. I mean, there's also but, you, you can pick, pick the joke to pieces if you want, but it's just. But that I, and that's kind of been my point is, I've where I felt a tiny bit of sympathy for myself is like, you'd get all these people going, "What an asshole!" This and just destroy me. Which yeah, I get. I made a bad comment. I'm not in any way condoning what mm. I did or in any way saying it was funny or blah 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 blah. My only point is how many people in their lives when they were between 16 and 25 didn't do something kind of stupid. And in my case, my entire existence was under the media scrutiny Mm. and we were that first generation that social media was a thing. Mm. Because this is the thing, every other generation now, social media has existed, they grow up with it. 
Absolutely, and you, you learn. So some, someone would see the grilling you get and go, okay, well, I, I won't yell that yeah. out to a cyclist. Yeah, people <laughs> literally like, don't be like Max Key. And it's like, fuck. Like, and that's the thing is I think that's where people have been a bit harsh is I got this reputation for being this yeah. asshole, blah, 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 blah. When, you know, I only really made two or three quite public mistakes, mm. which I think for a kid that from 13 to 22 was massively in the spotlight. Yeah. You know, I... That's where I'm like, was it really that bad? But this is the problem. I can't go and say, was it that bad? Because no, you go, can't. There's nothing you can say to defend yourself. Nah. So my, the only thing I say is that, like, I think everyone at that age makes mistakes, mm. and in the scheme of the world, were they the worst things ever? Absolutely not. Nah. And no. see, I've learned from them, and I think that's the thing. I like had to mature, and you know, I've definitely grown up from all that stuff, and. I think that that's what I'm loving with the podcast is I think people can sit there and go, well, the guy's actually a human. Like, mm. Whereas I think it's easy, you know, on TV or radio, or, you know, you see these people and all you hear is, you know, they paint the thing like arrogant kids screams at cyclists. Or, <laughs> you know, I made this like stupid Snapchat story, you know, because I was pumped. It just that I was just, a joke. Like, it was a joke. It was a joke that didn't land. Oh, it didn't uh, land it at all. No, no malicious att- uh, nah. intent though. Nah, not at all. And, do you know the worst thing about it? So I put it up. It had been up for 23 hours and 52 minutes. And so I know just about the end of the Snapchat It's literally cycle. about to come out. And someone goes, I get this text from a reporter. And they go, they said something like, interesting story, Max. I, I literally went, oh, fuck, like, I've got to get rid of this. <laughs> so I quickly got it. Literally, as I'm like clicking the delete button, I get a thing saying, this has been screenshotted. And I'm like, yeah. oh, fuck, 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 fuck. Like, you know that feeling when you know you've done something wrong? I'm going, oh, fuck, fuck, that feeling where the blood drains yeah. out of your head. And I'm going, oh, go, 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 go. And then my phone starts ringing. And I pick up and they're like, hi, this is blah, blah, blah from the Herald. I'm like, no comment. And I like hang up. Two minutes later, hi, this is blah, blah, from stuff. I'm like, oh, fuck, 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 fuck. I'm just like, this is not good. Not. And I'm like, call dad. I'm like, hey, dad. And he's like, what? Because <laughs> <laughs> you went, and I'm like, hey. Um, so, so you know how cyclists. Yeah. So. <laughs> like, so you know how there's like that, you know, like stories and, you know. Snapchat. He's like, what? I'm like, well, I, I think I've done something kind of dumb. And I was like, I kind of think it's going to be in the hero. He's like, what did you say? And I'm like, um, I said real men ride women. He's like, what? And I'm like, yeah, it wasn't great. Not not my best, but, and fuck, he, oh, he was so pissed. And then basically you're just sitting there refreshing the Herald. And then 20 minutes later, it's Max Key publicly. And then the whole story was up there. And the worst part was the video after it, I'm like, filming these fire trucks this is how lame it is i'm filming these fire trucks and i go oh my new single's out in the fire brigade <laughs> like this is the level of, so hot. yeah that is the level of the humor at the time like and then yeah, that's on the yeah. new york times as well i'm sitting there going oh god like honestly but that's the thing like that's how childish I was at that age look, and you can look back now like no one died no one was hurt and I can understand there'll be people that go well you know it's offensive because it's saying if, if, if you're gay you're not a real man and mm. you, you can pull the joke apart as many ways as what you want but I don't know there was no malicious intent in there no um, yeah that's rough I think there was a, there was a lot that we, you went through was that was um, that was a bit of a rough hand yeah but I mean again I think I think you kind of make your own destiny a bit and you know 
as I've said, I've I've sat there and I've learned and. Mm. Yeah, you you're, know, you're a smart guy, and you, you learn from your mistakes. I think that's um that's the important thing. Totally. Like if you, and um, yeah, m- mistakes are fucking great, and they're something that should be embraced because yeah. um, if, if you're not making mistakes in life, you're not or, you're not or failing at things. You're not actually trying hard enough. Nah, I just think doing it publicly is tough, but real rough. Yeah, but I mean, absolutely. I don't know. You kind of like anything that I think has just made me into part of me a better person and. Mm. Well, even when we touched upon this in my podcast with you, even your sister, who was like out of the country, she was in Europe right through your dad's um, run as prime minister. Um, like the media even picked up on her a couple of oh, times yeah. when she did some provocative artwork and bits and pieces, and she didn't even ask for that. Nah, like she, you know, you, you, I suppose you sort of stood close to the fire, but she was yeah. like as far away from the fire as what you can be. Well, and that was the thing. That that was always my approach. Was I think for me, I just got to this point where I was like, I kind of want. I want to I want to share the narrative how I want to. Mm. You know, I didn't like that they would write something about me and it was kind of in their words and their eyes and I didn't have the control over it. And I think as a young kid, I was like, maybe if I post and show. But, you know, it's like reality TV. You say one thing and then they take it out of context. Yeah. And, and I just think they wanted to paint me as like the rich party boy because that made dad look unfavorable. And, mm. you know, I kind of did enough silly things that... <laughs> to back up their storyline. Yeah, and I, but I think, again... You can kind of go deep on that or you can look yeah. at it surface level where what 20-year-old doesn't want, mm. you know, chicks to think he's cool and, you know, there wasn't much more to it. You know, I was yeah. just trying to impress people and, you know, I didn't even know who I was, mm. you know. And obviously now with maturity and growth, I've sat there and, you know, would I do it again? Well, no. But that's all part of the learning curve. Mm. And Yeah, and the, the exciting thing about life is – um like you're, you're 28 now. Like when when you get to 50, you'll be like, oh my god, I can't believe I did this podcast and said these things. Yeah, like yeah. Things that you're doing now, where you, from the lens of you being 28 and looking back at you when you were 20, you think, oh my god. But the exciting thing about life is you keep evolving and you keep growing. And um, I think that's cool. I, yeah. I recorded a podcast the other day with um, Adam Perori, who played oh, cool. yeah. cricket for New Zealand years ago, and he was he was quite brash and quite arrogant and quite cocky as a cricketer. Like he was a really good wicket keeper. Um, and uh, from the lens that he's at now if like a 52 53 year old man he's like fuck i was such a dick in my 20s i'm so embarrassed about the way i behaved wow because didn't he climb every, or try yeah yeah, yeah he did he, yeah summited everest as well yeah yeah but he i mean i think i'm friends with him on facebook yeah right? he's a good dude yeah he's a good dude but he's, he's um he's done a, done a lot of work on himself and he's learned a lot about himself no, and he's not he's i suppose my point being is um when he was at the peak of his cricketing powers probably at the age you're at now he sees himself now as a completely different, different person, person yeah. to when he was then. Yeah, no, I can relate to that. Well, I don't want to hold you up because I know you've got a flight to catch, but how can people um, – so your podcast, Runners Only? Yep, Runners how- Only with Dom Harvey. Uh, uh, on YouTube or any podcast app, if you search Dom Harvey, you'll find it. It started off um, – because I launched it like over, just over a year ago and uh, a branding expert I spoke to, he said to me, you're quite late to the podcast game, which w- was a dumb thing to say. He goes, you need a niche. So um, I was like, okay, I'll, I'll go with the running niche because I'm right into my running. But it's sort of, um, yeah, it's not so much about that anymore. Like yeah. I think you and I, we touched upon it and yeah, that was about it. But it's just good conversations with good people, much like you're doing here. Yeah. Um, well, everyone go check it out. I um, One of my, my little interviews is on there as well. Mm. And I had heaps of fun and the podcast is wicked. And as I said at the very start, that's why I got into this. So 
just want to thank you for coming on. Thanks, it's man. Anything for you, and I'm so pleased to see you in the podcast space, and it's um it's humbling um, that I was part of the catalyst for you doing yeah, this. Yeah, no, hundred percent. And you've officially been keyed up. <laughs> that's my little outro. Well, I've got a neon sign in my studio with my with um, and that's it. You've got like a massive, massive screen. I know with a, it's good. A it. logo and everything. Yeah. Who did that logo? It's okay. My marketing guy did it. I love it. I love it. It's a key. I know. It's clever. Eh? <laughs> that's good. Well, because I was on George FM for a while, and my show was keyed in. Right. But I didn't want to like fully copy that, so yeah. we just went with keyed up. Keyed up. I love it. I love a good pun. Yeah. Hey, Sweet. best of luck with the podcast, mate. Yeah. Thanks, Appreciate mate. It. Cheers. Cheers, guys.